0: In this episode, I'm going to share a Patreon episode on step parenting based on a patron's question, but I think it's pretty much applicable to any parent. It delves into control, expectations, and a lot more. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist obsessed with the polyvagal theory, although this one delves, uh, strays away from the polyvagal theory. It's more about just parenting. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This podcast is not therapy, nor is intended to be a replacement for therapy and does not establish a therapeutic relationship. This is a real person, but I'm changing the name and just answering this in general. This is not specific life advice. This is from, again, I'm going to make up a name here. This is from Gertrude. Gertrude via Patreon. She says, man, am I glad I found your podcast. I'm just in the end of year one's episodes and love what you're doing. I reviewed your topics for the second year. And did not see anything specific to parenting stepchildren and keeping them and myself up the ladder while competing with the different rules or lack thereof in the other parent's home. Yeah, this is not something I've really talked about ever, I don't think, is step parents and mixed families, I think is what what it's called. So this is an opportunity for me to go into something different. I don't know how much insight I have on this. This is, I don't, I wouldn't say I have expertise in step parenting whatsoever. I've worked a lot with kids who have either single parents or a single parent with like a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend of the parent in the home a lot of that or uh, partners of the of the biological parents that are kind of in and out or the single parent that are kind of in and out a lot of that or dads or moms that are kind of in and out of the person's life not really there in a stable way foster children. So I have a lot of experience with that step parents in a mixed home where things are relatively stable. I don't know how much experience I have with that. I do have some thoughts that that maybe can help out, but that's not definitely not where my expertise lies in in knowledge or wow. What's the word (laughs) history experience? My goodness. Wow. Okay. So she goes on to say, I was also wondering if you have an episode or 20 about being a biological sole parent. In a relationship, but my daughter's father abandoned her two years ago, who was raised, so uh, being a biological soul parent, who was raised in a very traumatic environment, who is dedicated to breaking the trauma cycle with my daughter. I hope that all makes sense. It does, and I actually asked for more information uh, from the person just to get more context of this situation. And Even though this is a specific situation, I'm going to address this in more of a general way. These are my thoughts. In general, not specific life advice, not therapy. This is not therapy. does not establish a therapeutic relationship, just to be clear about that. But the the additional context here is, uh, I had written saying, it sounds like you're living with stepchildren and their biological father, but you also have a daughter of your own who is also living with you and them. Your stepchildren split time between their bio mom and their bio father, but your bio daughter is with you full time. And she said, yeah, that's exactly it. My ex-husband abandoned his parental duties two years ago. So that's just more of the context. So she goes on to say in in the original message, I guess where my struggle lies is being a quote-unquote parent, but raising children that are 10 and 11 that do not model behaviors I believe they should. The two main concerns are they are very immature for their age, and their mom has done everything for them. Second is their laziness and lack of motivation to do anything other than what they are forced to do. So first off my a couple of my thoughts here this is a tough age ten, 10 years old, 11 years old it's a tough age I don't know if, I don't know if any age is, is easy but uh, 10 and 11 I have a 12 year old now she just turned 12. It's a tough age. It is a trying age it's a challenging age. There's this impulse to um, individuate potentially to already start to individuate push their parents away to say yeah I know this and I know that and I can do this on my own even though they don't do it um, and I know what to do this even though they don't fall through and actually do it. you have to keep reminding them. So all these things in general, tough age you, know, you compound that with uh, step parents, step siblings, uh, family turmoil if there is any and I, I don't I don't this is again this is more general. You compound that with these issues plus maybe the way they were raised if there's a history of trauma. Um, this person says there was that mom by a mom does everything for them. so you filter, or mix that in as well. This it it compounds. It's a big issue that kind of just kind of compounds on itself and becomes more more complex. Besides, I mean, if if life was perfect and you just had a ten and eleven year old that were like your biological children that you had raised uh, since birth, it's still a complicated age. It's it's still a challenging age, um, and we have to keep ourselves in check as parents because it's going to trigger our own stuff, right? And, you probably know that if you're a parent with this age group you, you probably know that already so they're they're individuating this is supposed to happen Rebe- rebellion is common it's kind of supposed to happen especially when you have parents that are more overly controlling that want things a certain way that that will be the battleground You're these 10 11 12 year olds that will be the battleground is they, their goal in life is to prove to you that you don't have control that they are an individual and especially if you have some uh, child who's in the more of a strong-willed kind of personality, their goal in life is to prove you do not have control over them. So again, like just this, the issue just kind of compounds and builds. But you know, most kids in general, they don't do anything unless they're, I'll say forced to, they won't do anything unless there's something in it for them, an allowance or access to privileges. And it's not because they're bad, it's just because they're kids. That's they don't really do things unless there's something in it for them, at least at home. I mean, my kids are wonderful outside of here. They're very giving. They're good friends at home, unless there's something in it for them. They don't volunteer to do chores. Typically they don't volunteer to clean up like a mess in the house. Be, like that just cause they're kids. And if you have kids that do that, Hey, <laughs> my hat's off to you. Uh, write a book because, um, you may, you may have all the answers, but, uh, the kids don't typically volunteer to do things unless it benefits them. They just don't. When it comes to homework, they don't like homework. They're not excited about homework. They don't want to do homework. We, we want them to do homework. Cleaning the room. There's Legos all over my five-year-old, almost six, his bedroom right now. Like I've asked him numerous times. There's been no consequence. I haven't pushed the issue, but I said, hey, might be a good time to clean up your Legos on the floor. He goes in there with the, I think the intent to do it, and gets distracted and just starts playing with Legos. <laughs> um, but there's no consequence. I'm not, it's not a fight I want to pick. It's not worth it, in my opinion. So he he's okay with it the way it is. I have a problem. I'm not okay with the Legos on the floor, in his room. If it was out in the common area, like the living room, kitchen, that's an issue. In his room, not as much. So these aren't things that he'll volunteer to do, even though it's important to me. It's not important to him. He doesn't care. Uh, Doing homework is important to us, not for kids. Doing chores, that's important to us, not for kids. So I think when it comes to kids in general and stepchildren as well, we have to realize that what's important to us may not be important to them. What motivates us may not motivate them. It's just not as important. Now you take that and combine it with maybe a strong will personality, combine it maybe with history of trauma, Combine it with uh, parental divorce, which in and of itself might be traumatic, plus all the stuff that comes before that. The issue just builds and builds and builds. So the issue is not just that they won't do the thing. The issue is all of the stuff put together, right? So I think it's just a framework to kind of keep in mind that there's this much larger issue or, co- or collection of issues that our children are going through. And not just their developmental milestone or where they should be at or where we'd like them to be at, where they should be at where we'd like them to be at, where they actually are. Those are different things. Yeah, this will, but basically, they don't care about the stuff that we care about. Gertrude goes on to say, I've learned enough in my research and talking to therapists that their father has to drive the bus, and I'm his co-pilot when it comes to his kids. We don't always see eye-to-eye, and parenting is most of our struggle. And that's going to be not just with uh, step households, but if parents are not on the same page, that's going to be a huge issue. And even if the same page, like ideally we want parenting to be the least um, controlling, the least punitive, the least restrictive. Hopefully that makes sense. And we want to give children as much leeway as possible for them to make choices and fail at those choices, and then, in my opinion, and then parents step in and kind of redirect. So parenting, I think, is elastic. So ideally, we want parenting to look something like that, in my opinion. Even if parents are not on the same board, on the same page to that, Maybe they're on the same page to something else along the parenting spectrum, from like free-range parenting, where the kids have they can go out and do whatever they want, and uh, that's probably misrepresentation of free-range parenting. Sorry, but there's a lot more freedom. I'll, I'll put it that way. For toward you know the spectrum from that toward very authoritarian parenting, where parents have complete say-so all the time, lots of control, lots of demands. So somewhere in between there even if the parents are not on the same page when it comes to the more, least restrictive or more freedom, if they're on the same page somewhere in the middle, that's that's better than not being on the same page, in my opinion. Now, if you're both on the same page when it comes to high restriction, high punishment, high control, um, that's not ideal in my opinion. But if you're on the same page, if there's an agreement point that can be made somewhere on the spectrum of parenting, like to me, that's a heck of a lot better than... Uh, not being on the same page and bickering, especially if you're bickering with each other about the right thing to do, to me that is that could be a that's more of a problem than being on the same page, even if it's less than perfect. But otherwise, based on what uh, Gertrude says here, I, I don't I agree, and I, I don't have a whole lot more to add. That when it comes to biological children, stepchildren, stepparents, that the biological parent should be the one to drive things like consequences, structure. I think the, the step-parent, and I don't have anything wonderful to add here, I think the step-parent is the quote-unquote co-pilot. Uh, just, to me, this really depends on the level of attachment and family functioning, and maybe that step-parent can take on more of an active role. I've seen that. That's not a big deal. But if if the rules I, I guess, in my opinion, when it comes to step-parents, that the attachment, the uh, the bond, kind of has to come first. Well, same thing with biological parents, too, huh? But with, with step-parents, I, th- I think that the the connection is probably more important than the rules and, and whatnot. The rules should come from the biological parent while the step-parent works on building a safe connection with the stepchildren. in my opinion. So being a co-pilot, sure. Uh, but you can also be a support for, for the biological parents interventions. You can be a support to them. And I, I guess that kind of falls under the idea of co-piloting until there's more development, more solidification of the relationship and the or the role in the family until there's more of a buy-in and that comes through just healthy attachment and safety and whatnot. That, when you have that, then maybe the step parent can step up and be more of a, rules, boundaries, structure, and enforcement kind of parent as well. Teens that I've worked with, they they consistently say though, that this is their biggest issue is that there's a not not I haven't worked with a whole lot of step parents. Usually it's a biological parent's partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, that they're in the home or visiting the home. And while they're there, they're going way overboard as far as trying to enforce rules. Um, they're yelling at the kids. They're they're trying to dole out consequences. They're not working on the structure. They're not working on the bonding. They're not working on the bonding. And they're prioritizing being the boss or being. And what my what my teen clients will say is that like they're not my parent. They're not my dad. Why are you, like why are you why are they attempting to to kind of be the dominant one? Especially the big the biggest problem is when they especially override the biological parent. And that's like, that's like a personality kind of thing. Or maybe that partner isn't like fight energy and they feel this urge to dominate. Uh, whatever the, whatever the, re, whatever the, the driving force is, is that this is a consistent, constant issue for my, my clients that I work with that are younger, that are teenage years or, or even younger, is that this other person's coming into the home and being highly disruptive and attempting, attempting to dominate or kind of be the boss or they call it, they they say, why are they trying to be my parent? But really it's not about being a parent. It's more about, seems like it's more about gaining control of of the home. So that kind of, that I hear that a lot from my clients is that they don't want the other, they don't want the step parent or the significant other to to step in or come in and attempt to assert what their values or their expectations onto the family unit, or especially onto the, the kid themselves. And this ends up building resentment. Like it does, it doesn't work. the The attachment has to be there. the The connection has to be there before attempting to assert our values onto these children as as step parent or not, I'm not a step parent. Before a step parent or anybody attempts to assert their values, there, there really has to be. I think a more of a healthy connection, and then from that, values can be shared and discussed and not necessarily imposed. I think the biological parent probably will do more of that kind of stuff where there's an imposition of rules and boundaries and like look this is just the way our home looks like that that's probably more of a biological parent thing but and but also the step parent can be a mentor they can be a role model and that can go toward that can help build attachment and connection is is being that safe person that predictable person that that acts as um i don't want to say friend I don't think friend's the right word, but more of a mentor, like an adult uh, mentor and uh, just someone who sets an example of of behavior, uh, whatever that looks like in the family. Someone who is approachable without imposing. Uh, I think that's probably a not a first step, but that would be maybe a milestone of just building a connection with with a child that's uh, not biologically yours that you haven't raised and you're, you're coming into the home, that might be a, um, like a benchmark or a milestone if you can go from just being a safe person, working on connection building, and then becoming more of a mentor or example. And then the biological parent is more of that enforcer, pilot, structure kind of person. I think that could be a good initial balance. Hey, if you're enjoying this and you're also a fan of this show, Stuck Not Broken, then consider supporting all the work I'm putting into this and uh, everything else I'm doing with Instagram and the blog and the eBooks uh, by becoming a patron over on Patreon. You will get an entire other podcast, only five bucks a month, plus Q and A live streams, plus the audio from my IGTV videos. Uh, all cleaned up and put into the Patreon podcast that you can listen to in any podcast player that you want. This entire discussion here on parenting and step parenting is actually available on video for patrons. You also get priority question responses and a whole bunch of other stuff. If not, no worries. Continue to enjoy the content I'm creating. I hope you benefit from it. I hope you like it. But if you've got the means to support my work, Patreon is a really good avenue to do so, and you get a whole bunch of cool stuff. Gertrude goes on to say they are not used to having things made for them or time spent on them, so they don't know how to be grateful. I'm a crafty person and made totes for them for their summer shuffle off to school to take things between homes since they don't have backpacks. They took them to their mom's the first day and we never saw them again. Oh, that's sad. I listened to your show about not taking it personally, and that helped some, but I feel like they are so ungrateful. I want to be the role model. and Oh, there you go. I want to be the role model and "quote unquote" mother figure. I know they need and deserve. I just don't know how to be patient with them, teach them, and not get so butthurt. <laughs> His kids are a trigger for me, and I catch myself being irritated with them just because I expect them to do something irritating. This is um, this is an interesting one. I think kids in general, for parents, can. I'll say I'll say it this way, and then I'll refine it. Kids can be a trigger, but. That's not exactly true. What's true is that we have things within us that can be triggered that kids, that may get triggered through our children. The the kids are just kids. They're not the trigger in and of themselves. There's stuff within us. We have our own issues. We have our own control issues, abandonment issues, trauma issues. We have our own stuff. And that can get triggered by external stuff, but it's not the thing's fault exactly, right? They're just kids. They're kids who have had their own Lives so far, 10, 11 years worth of living. And it sounds like it has not been ideal. So they have their own triggers. They have their own stuff. We have our own triggers. We have our own stuff. And these things are going to clash. And step-parents are going to be triggers for the kids. And the kids are going to be triggers for the step-parents. So I think it would help, in general, to not blame other people for how we feel. In general. Some people who attack us. Some people who um, are overtly triggering to us like they're they're encroaching on our space, they're outright attacking us, they're calling us names. Yeah, our feelings can be attributed to them, right? More or less, in general. I, I think especially when it comes to kids, they yeah, they do things to assert themselves, they do things to prove we don't have control over them, and that's to be expected. So the issue is, are they triggering, or is my need to assert control triggering? And I'm not, again, this is not about Gertrude, this is in general, Because control is a constant issue that I see when I work with parents. Parents want to have control of a situation, right? So the issue is not the kids. The issue is my need for control. My need for control conflicts with maybe a stepchild or my own child that also wants to assert control. The issue is not my child. The issue is my need for control, right? So the sooner we let go of, I know that's not the ideal way of just saying, well, let it go. But the sooner that we can soften that, uh, through our own self-regulation, the sooner that the kids "quote unquote" will not be a trigger. Also, a step parent may not align with what the stepchild wants or needs or is ready for. So, what we want out of the situation may not align with what they want or with what they need. I think that it's up for a parent to recognize where a kid's at and to attempt to meet them there. Now, parents can, of course have higher expectations, set the bar higher. I think it's actually really important, and I would recommend parents do that. But at the same time, as we're doing that, we also have to realize and and understand with empathy and with compassion that they're just not there. And it's not about us. It's not about the step-parent. That's just where they're at. So the sooner we can meet them there, but also in my mind, it's like, well, I'll meet you there empathetically. I'm with you. I can connect with you, but I do expect better at the same time. I think those do not conflict, I think those go hand in hand. When it comes to attempting to make a connection with them, whether it be through making things for them, or inviting them to cook with us, or just wanting to play and go swimming together. When it comes to that, they just might not be ready for that kind of bonding or connection. I don't even know if these, not just these, but stepchildren in general, they may not have even had that with their own biological mom or dad or parent. So if they haven't even had that with them, Being able to build that with a step parent is going to be a lot more difficult if they don't have a history of co-regulation, of safe connection and attachment. Building that with someone brand new, especially while all these dynamics are going on, it just may not be, it might be too much of an ask or an expectation. So can you expect that someday that will happen and do the best you can to make it happen? Sure. But at the same time, we also have to expect and realize and understand that right now, they're just not there. And that a healthy amount of space right now is a good idea. And that hopefully, the amount of space that we can, like literal space or emotional space, will lessen as time goes on, hopefully. Gertrude goes on to say, "I'm learning my, I'm learning that my lack of patience and my need for them to do more than bare minimum is causing all of us to run down the ladder. If I ask twice and have to ask a third time, I'm upset. The kids are not used to doing for themselves and are not used to asking for help. I have raised my daughter very differently. And although, and although I know all kids are different, I feel they should be more advanced for their age. I'm talking basics like keeping their rooms clean, brushing their teeth, eating with utensils, and not their hands. So some of this is... Um, some of the issue here, not just here, but in, in, in general... Is that what we consider basic might be basic for us. For kids, it's not basic. Keeping a room clean for us, pretty basic. Clean house, clean apartment, pretty basic, right? Uh, we have pride in the things that we are paying for, that we own or are renting or whatever it is. Like we have pride in that. It means something to us. It's our little habitat. We want it to feel uh, safe. We want, And part of that is keeping it clean. We want to feel that pride in there. Kids, not so much. They're not paying for this stuff. They don't really own it. They don't control it. They don't care in the same way that we do. So basic for us is different for them. Kids, when it comes to brushing your teeth, yeah, pretty darn basic. But for them, they don't care. So even though these things we consider basic, for them, it's not important. Watching TV is important. Playing with their friends, to them, that, that's important. They will go out of their way to make those things happen, right? Playing video games, being on a tablet, playing with Legos. These things are important to them. They will make these things happen because they're important. Brushing their teeth, it's just not. It's just not. Cleaning the room, it's just not. Now, there are things that, that probably would be more basic, like fundamental to just existing in a, in a society that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing Gertrude's society is like mine where we use forks, we use utensils. So that may be considered, I think, pretty damn basic. Uh, Eating with your hands, probably less than ideal when it comes to spreading germs and whatnot. So that makes sense to me. Like that probably should be a, a fundamental thing that's happening is that we're using utensils to eat. We're not throwing food at each other. We're not eating off the floor. Stuff like that seems like, in general, pretty damn basic and a basic expectation for kids if they if they're not doing these things, if they're wearing filthy clothes, they're drinking soda all day, like to to me this there is a concern there. I think kids will do those things. So a lot of this is just parental supervision, the parents being on the same page as far as what the expectations are for the kids. And at some point it's like I would start to be concerned about neglect. I mean, if a kid's drinking soda all day, wearing filthy clothes, if their hygiene's awful, but that's something different, that's on the parents. If the kids are not doing fundamental things like eating with a fork or a spoon, uh, I'm like, well, why, Like, where, where did that come from? Did they not get these things growing up? And if that's the case, then it's really important that the two people involved or one person, whoever it is the parent or parents are, that they communicate their expectation very clearly but also enforce it during dinner time and, and model it as well, of course. Uh, but make it very clear that this is expected during mealtime. I mean it's that it seems pretty fundamental to me. But you know, choose your battles. Choose your battles. Not everything is as important. For me, the eating with a fork is pretty damn important. Keeping Legos off the floor, not so much. So what consider what's considered basic for one home? For another home, it might not look the same. So it, choose your battles. Um, For any parent, I would really recommend, like, focus on what's important. Schoolwork, completing schoolwork, pretty damn important in my opinion, in our our home. That's pretty important. Getting passing grades, pretty damn important. Do they need to be A's? No, you just have to pass the class. Uh, Doing homework, uh, taking a shower or a bath every day, pretty important. Eating with utensils, I mean, bare bones, fundamental stuff that if it came down to it, these are things that my wife and I would be willing to... uh, go to battle for like quote unquote go to battle for like these are things that are extremely important that we have basic fundamental expectations keeping your room clean it'd be nice but we're not gonna it's for us it's not a battle for us it's not something that we're worth that we're gonna pick a fight over i think we we just basic room maintenance is fine but like i said there's legos on the floor right now it bothers me generally i don't I don't care about it though so choose your battles not everything is is as important as the other thing all right if my kids wear polka dots up top and plaid down bottom, I think it's ugly, but I'm not going to pick up. It, it doesn't matter to us. That's not a, it's not a huge issue that we're going to have to step in and, you know, redirect. When it comes to these things that we're willing to pick battles about or not, talk about it with the other parent. The other parent and, well, both parents need to be on the same page, no matter what that looks like. And maybe in your household, it is really important that clothes match. I, to me, I would I recommend not picking that battle. But if the, both of you agree that the way we present ourselves in public is important, it's a, to me it's a lot better than two people disagreeing about that and then fighting about it and the kid manipulating in some way, right? So talk to each other. You have to be on the same page. If, if you do have clear communication with each other about what the expectations are, you've talked to the kids about what the expectations are. Then, if they do break the expectation, now we have a platform we can, where we can implement a consequence if that's the structure of your home. We can take away a privilege or do a timeout or whatever it is based on the choices the child's making. And if, if in my home, and what I recommend for you is that if you're doing consequences, it should be pretty damn important. Like hitting, not doing schoolwork, not going to school. For us, swearing is one of those things. Uh, it better be pretty significant if you're going to implement a consequence. We don't. We wouldn't do a consequence for uh, playing too loudly or even talking back to us. That's not something that we would do a consequence for. They can have their opinion. They can say no to us. Um, but they say, no, I'm not doing my homework, that's different. You know what I mean? But with my daughter, we expect her to say no to pretty much everything. Like, hey, it's time of your chores. No, we just expect it's going to happen. But we also know that chores will get done. And if not, that's when we would we would do a consequence. Gertrude mentioned a lack of patience. I think it's something that every single one of us can identify with. And when we have that lack of patience, just recognize that there's a there's some flight-fight energy there. And there's a feeling of urgency or being rushed or pressured. That comes from a mild, at least a mild dysregulation. That comes from too much flight-fight energy in the system. So that's where we have to, before we act on that rushed feeling, that pressure. We got to do some self-regulation first. Get that stuff in check before interacting with your kid. That's what I recommend. In check enough. It doesn't have to be perfectly. You don't have to be smiling. It have to be perfectly self-regulated, but self-control is a good idea. Um, but self-regulated enough to feel that energy, but also come from a state of safety. Gertrude says, "So here lies the big question: How do I stay in this relationship and stay safe and up the ladder?" Now that's a whole separate issue beyond like if we had two parents that were on the same page I think my thoughts here and whatever research you've done as well like there's a comprehensive like springboard here to get to the next step but should I how do I stay in the relationship that's a whole separate question right if like someone asks me this kind of question what I'm thinking of is the question how do I stay in the relationship or is the question should I stay in the relationship and I I can't tell you the answer to either of those things it's really up to to you and, and anybody else um, if it should, like, should I stay in a relationship? That's, that's really something you have to be very honest with yourself about. I don't, I can't tell you that. Um, but we have to be very honest with ourselves about our relationships. We're in friendships, marriages, whatever they are. And should I stay in this? Like that takes some brutal honesty. It's a tough, tough question. Is it worth it? You know, that that's one thing you consider is the bad stuff, quote unquote, bad stuff. Is the bad stuff something that you can live with or not? and if it is something or if it's not something you can live with how long can you put up with it so if if the bad stuff that we're involved in and this isn't just about kids this, this is like any anything that you're involved in if you can't stand it how long can you can you live like that that i mean that that's i think it's pretty fundamental to it is if it, if you can't stand it if you can't be in this relationship how long are you willing to put up with it because you're in it right so how long are you willing to put up with it That's if the question is, should I stay in a relationship? If the question is how, I think the first step to that question and to a lot of things in general is like, is to normalize some of what you're going through. And that might help soften the intensity of it. Like normalize what you're going through. Normalize the context of what you're in. Like normalize based on the past. Normalize based on what the kids need right now. Normalize means uh, you just take the look at the context and make sense of it. Just saying like, yeah, this makes sense. Normalize the fact that the feelings you have might be in conflict with, um, with what's needed in the moment. But the feelings you have come from its own context. So just normalize that stuff. And also validate it. This is how I feel. This is real. The feelings I have are real. They're happening right now. Or they happened yesterday. Or they will happen again. Just validate that. You do have these feelings and they are real. So normalizing and validating, I think, can just kind of soften the intensity of of whatever situation that we're in that, that need that. She goes on to say, I feel horrible for expecting more from the kids than they are used to, but I know they are capable. They just aren't held to a higher standard. The fact is, these are not my kids, and I have little control over the situation. I just like to not be anxious and keep myself, and ultimately them, down the ladder. I have had pretty bad anxiety over it for the last year or so. And, I, and I, I, I get where this is coming from, this kind of sentiment, but we should expect more. I think it is okay. It, it's necessary for us parents to expect more out of our kids no matter what our relationship is with them. And maybe that's expecting better grades or better attendance or better um, connection with our kids. We should expect more out of them and with ourselves as well. We should expect more of us ourselves as parents. That doesn't mean that we're, like, beating ourselves up. That doesn't mean we're judging ourselves, judging them. It doesn't mean that we're going to yell at them for not living up to what we want out of them. No, it's just looking at where they're at and saying, just at least within ourselves, like, you did good within ourselves. I know you could do even better. And I'm going to challenge you to do so with lots of love and caring because I want the best out of you. I think it's a really good message for teachers to have of their students as well as you can do better. I mean, like the moment that we accept that this is the best they can do, they'll feel that. And I I think that's disastrous. I think it's, they will live up or down to our expectations of them. Now, I know parents can say that they want better for their kids Mm -hmm. out loud, but internally they don't believe that. So we actually have to want better for our kids and believe it, and feel it, and to feel and to know that they can do better. No matter what it is, they can make improvements in whatever that is. And even if they're achieving at a high level, I think it's okay to expect them and to want for them to try new things and to, you know, build their zest for life and try new things out. That's that's not the, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, if you're communicating to them, like, you're not doing good enough, do better. That That's different. But, like, hey, good job. Proud of you. So proud of you for that. Love you. What, what can we build on? What can we do next? Like, how can I support you when you, on, on your next endeavor? That's a hell of a lot different than, you know, you got an A minus. Why didn't you, why didn't you get an A or, um, or like, I, I just, you're not doing enough. Do better. Why can't you be more like your sibling? Like that's, those are way different things and hopefully that makes sense. I, but basically I think it's always okay to expect more, to expect better, to hope for more, hope for better. While being supportive, while being lovely, loving, while being compassionate and empathetic. I think those go hand in hand, personally. And I think everybody in a child's life, I mentioned teachers, but everyone should be expecting this. We should all be expecting better of each other and communicating that to our kids that you can do better. I expect it of you. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you along the way. So we can expect better for them while praising them for what they are accomplishing and without pressuring them to do better, but just more of like being curious with them and about what else could be done. You know, it's, it's more of like a joining in curiosity and support. It could sound like I, I believe in you. I know you can do better. I know you can achieve whatever you put your mind to. I expect you to succeed in school. I expect you to succeed in life. It might sound like that. And these are con- conversations I've had with my kids and I'm pretty point blank about what I expect out of them in a very healthy way, in, in my opinion, in a very healthy way. So a couple more things she says, I'm in between counselors because of your bad therapy series. You helped me to solidify that the person I was with was not a good therapist and was definitely not right for me. I am working with someone in brain spotting to help heal my childhood traumas. I just started good for you. I'm I'm glad the bad therapy series that uh, I do and that Mercedes and I do was helpful for you and helped you to get to where hopefully where you need to be or at least closer to it. And she wraps up by saying, I think I just need a direction to go when the cause of my stress is out of my control. I know I can control my reactions, and I know I can do better. You know what what I would say to this is, when is the cause of our stress ever in our control? Right? Like, if we controlled it, it probably wouldn't be stressful. When it comes to our kids, we do not control them. So if that's something that we're wrestling with, like, get acquainted with that idea right away. We do not control our kids. They do make their own choices, whether we like it or not. Good or bad, they do make their own choices. All we do is react to what they do. Hopefully we prepare them ahead of time. Hopefully we model. Hopefully we um, give them life lessons and all this stuff, right? Hopefully we build a healthy attachment. So there's a lot we can do. But ultimately, our kids make their own choices and we react to those choices. We don't control them. We don't control our kids. Whether they're stepkids or not, we do not control them. So what do we have control over as parents? We, we control ourselves more or less. But ultimately, we, we have to take control. We have to take Radical responsibility for our own choices, I believe. So what do we have control over? Ideally ourselves. And if it's not perfect, that's fine. We're going to work in that direction, okay? And we also have control over our attempts to communicate with the other parent that's involved. We, we can't control the outcome of that conversation, but we can definitely control how many attempts we make or how passive we are in those attempts or how, or how assertive we are in those attempts. Those things we do have control over are behaviors More or less, I would say we have control over those in in some, I know it's a deeper conversation, but just for now, I think it's good enough to say we do have control over our behaviors. We don't control the outcome of our behaviors. That's just the way it is. But we do have control over what that looks like. In large part, I know it's not that simple, but in large part. I hope this special Patreon episode was helpful for you. Again, if you'd like to support what I'm doing here and all my efforts in general, uh, become a patron. It's only five dollars a month. That's that's uh, I think less than a coffee nowadays. I get americanos, which are usually less than five bucks. But you get the idea, all right? Only five bucks a month, you get a whole other podcast. Most of the episodes are are mini ones, short episodes. I would say around nine, ten minutes. This one was kind of an exception. I would really went more into depth, and this one had a lot more pieces to it. So this one was was different than what I typically put out as far as length. Usually it's like it's shorter episodes, and I've been doing at least two a week uh, for quite a while now. So you you get a lot of extra stuff, and it's in more of a bite size format. And again, only five bucks a month. Whole the podcast live stream Q and A's you can show up to and just ask questions every single month once once a month for the, the live stream Q and A's. Otherwise, I do hope you liked this in particular and the podcast as a whole. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.